G'day, listener. Hello. How are you? It's How's a pleasure that? to speak I, to you again. Am I coming across okay? You are. <clears throat> so are you. It's your weekly bleakness. Huh? Ah, huh? weekly bleakness. I like it. That's a pun. Yeah. That's a pun. That's your pun. Don't congratulate it too one in the That's one in the bag for comedy so far. Welcome to episode 42. <clears throat> Is it? Uh, yeah. Fuck me. We're doing well. Well, <clears throat> we're doing a lot uh, over a long period of time. Uh, my name's Kieran. I'm here with Darcy, as always. Uh, hello, hello, darlings. Darcy's nice and well-rested uh, because he overslept. I am the opposite. I'm only overslept because I underslept before the oversleep. I didn't get to sleep till five o'clock because we don't have air conditioning. Well, that sounds... Like my, the excuse of a well-rested man. My girlfriend had a nice, one of fresh, those, active One of those brain. hot sleepers who just radiates like a fucking... For some reason, as soon as mm. she falls asleep. Yeah. Jesus. Interesting. All right. Uh, Great in winter. That's your introduction. Let's get on with the show. A modest house, a picket fence, a couple kids, some common sense, a job to pay your mortgage or your rent. All these goals are understood, but misery is a public good, so come and feed your sorrows till you're spent. Well, just to come, the captain said, the icebergs are the dead ahead, the men will keep the engines fed, I have a deal with God. We're at the end of history, there ain't a hope for you or me, when workers philanthropically believe in the economy. But what a feast for tired eyes, the poison earth, the boiling skies, everyone their own despise, remember when the world was wise, we no, 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 no. Alright. Do you have anything that you want to talk to talk, talk about before you dive into your topic, Darcy? We've got a we've got our customary few minutes. Got a customary few minutes. I reiterate my call from last week that mm. the police need to be replaced with social workers. Yeah. Apart from a handful of investigative officers. Yeah. Uh, at least if we're going to keep a police force, they need to have <clears throat> qualifications that aren't just being a police officer. Yeah. You should have to, if you, you don't have a psychology or a sociology or a social work qualification of mm. some kind, yeah, you shouldn't be allowed in. Yeah, sure. I agree with that. And maybe some sort of, like, I don't know, test for sociopathy yeah. could be good. Yeah. What else has happened? Uh, you're referring, of course, to the, to the IMARC. Uh, uh, brutal assaults on peaceful protesters at the blockade IMARC uh, yep. rally. That happened uh, only uh, yesterday and uh, the day before, which mm-hmm. would be the thirtieth uh, and 29th. Yes, for for those of you who are not listening to this uh, as we are currently speaking, which is everyone. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> it's broadcast delayed, of course. Of for, course, for quality. Uh, there's that. There's there's Donald Trump uh, single handedly killed Baghdadi. Yes, he did. Did you see that photograph of the the room, the was... war room that they clearly just ran into and dumped <laughs> a load of Ethernet cables onto the middle of the table? So many like visibly unplugged cables where you can see both terminal ends. Uh, Everybody has to stand <clears throat> behind me like Barack had. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be just like Barack had. And then uh, he went on a social media blitz praising the good boy who uh, was responsible for ba- for chasing Baghdadi into the cave where he destroyed himself and some kids i believe probably so that's a that's a feel-good story it seems like a Baghdadi move in fairness yeah he was uh, a cunt nobody nobody misses Baghdadi. Mm. um it's just interesting because trump spent quite a lot of time during the post osama assassination 
mm. saying, Stop giving Obama credit for this. It was SEAL Team 6. The president had nothing to do with this intervention. Yeah. Um, and now is weirdly and in very uncharacteristically, I feel, mm. reversing that position and taking complete credit yeah, for the operation. Yeah, it is strange. It's a strange move from Donald Trump, who's usually, I like to call him Constance because of his, uh, his Constance, but... <laughs> Not in this case. Uh, what else? Labor is continues Labor to occupy the quantum superposition of <laughs> being all parties to all people at once. <laughs> it's fucking yeah. You're talking about um, oh goodness, what was her name? Uh, Labor MP and shadow cabinet minister Claire um, Patrick, possibly. Don't know Claire something. She has uh, just done a really incoherent speech mm. about how it's important for the Labour Party to vaguely become better. Yeah. Uh, during which she consoled bigots and sexists that their bigoted and sexist concerns weren't bigoted or sexist. No. Um, and that technology is really hard and stressful, and that's why Australia mm. is full of hate and fear at the moment. Yeah. Strikes me as something of a misdiagnosis. Mm. I'm referring to that. I'm also referring to Albanese saying that uh, going out and being like, uh, we need to have strong climate policy that's focused on jobs. Uh, and then sort of somebody walked that back. I don't know. They just they just <laughs> twirl in place. Claire O'Neill. Claire O'Neill. <clears throat> uh, sorry about that, uh, Claire O'Neill. The Honourable Claire O'Neill. The Honourable Anthony Al- Al- Albanese. Look, mm. elbows... Uh, Problem is a classic Labour Party problem, which is an inability to just commit and stick at a position. Mm. One of the things the coalition has been good at is that regardless of short-term obstacles, they cling to and sell one simple narrative idea. Yeah. And they just keep beating it until it works. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Labour Party just retreats like a child scalded by an open fire and don't go near it ever again if it doesn't immediately work for them. Yeah. They have got, as a collective entity, a sort of extraordinary deficit disorder, attention deficit disorder problem. Yeah. As always. uh, And they clearly don't believe in anything they say ever. We we are uh, three-inch horses watching them drown in the tar pits. We're kneeling down. We see them talking out the sides of their mouths, two-faced monsters. Ah, it's been a while since I worked a Modest Mouse reference into this uh, podcast. It was like the first four episodes and then nothing else, so I needed to catch up. (laughs) You always need to flag them for me because, of course, I'm a Philistine. You and the listener both. Uh, (laughs) uh, All right, uh, let's fucking get to the topic then. All right. I'm trying to maintain a sort of uh, lazy, aggressive animal energy because I don't have much. So I'm trying to resource guard, essentially, my sense of embarrassment. You can't have any. Listener, I won't let you be embarrassed on my behalf. That's my vibe going into it. You can tell, by the way, I just introduced you and then interrupted you before you had a chance to speak. It's all right. My past workplace have just lost some Allen keys and I was being... Um, quizzed about it. Ah. I don't have any information for them. You heard it here first, listener. Innocent. All right. Didn't even know we had Alan Keys. Mm. Uh, I suppose it makes mm. sense. Topic one 
is a um, dark stain on our current national character uh, and politic. It's not the offshore detention centres, which have been receiving uh, less press coverage recently, which is a shame. Can I try and guess what it is? You can try and guess what it is. What this deep stain on our conscience might be? Go for it. Uh, is it our dogged refusal to commit to climate intervention? It is not. Is it the way that we immiserate our poor through punitive welfare Wrong again. Uh, Although <clears throat> you're stepping on a slightly right square. Okay, all right. Is it our mercenary approach to health and disability funding? Again, wrong, but another marble in uh, the right direction. Okay, is it our fascistic tendency to over-police? Ah, now we're getting very warm indeed, Kim. Oh, okay. Then uh, it can only be one thing, the fucking intervention. The fucking intervention, mm. which we're in our 12th year of now. Uh, Kieran's, of course, referring to the Northern Territory intervention. Yes. It's slated to continue for at least another three years. That was the extension period mm. that the Labour Party gave it when they were in um, off possession of government. It's one of those things, uh, like you watch... This is a bad example because it's a dream state, but bear with me for a second. You watch like, uh, you watch Twin Peaks and you're watching FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper sitting in the Black Lodge, uh, listening to the arm speak backwards. And you're like, if I was there, I'd be like, what the fuck's going on? Why are you a tree now? Why are you speaking backwards? The gum that I like didn't come back into style. So what was that about? But, of course, he's attuned and accumulated to that fucking landscape, and so he doesn't notice the oddity. Similarly, as Australians, we should all every day be saying, oh, there's a, a current and ongoing military intervention. Intervention is a very soil. benign word for it, of course, because it's a military occupation. Isn't military it? occupation, yeah. Um, yeah, much, much <clears throat> better phrased. And every day we should be going like, what the fuck? But, but why would we? Yeah. Why would we? It's new normal. It is... Uh, well, it's not new normal, is it? The, using the army to manage um, Aboriginal people is far from the new normal. It's literally the status quo that we had like a... Yeah, okay. Know, so there was the like a 20-minute... Old normal. <laughs> uh, two decades off, we took, I think, from mm. like the 80s to the 90s, basically. Yeah. Um, or maybe the 90s to the late noughts. But not long. We've yeah. Basically, for less than 10% of Australia's history, we have not been doing this. Literally four seconds after Guff, Goff Whitlam's touching speech, where he gives <laughs> the... I like Guff Whitlam. Whitlam. That's yeah. good. <laughs> where he gives the uh, sand back to old mate, I forget his name, uh, and says, here, we, we will recommit ourselves daily. Here's your land back. Four seconds after that, somebody put a fucking magazine into a rifle. And it was well. just like, gearing up, boys. Smash cut to power metal in an 80s fucking loadout montage. Look, historically, in, I want to I I just, before I get into judging the government, okay. in their defense, normally, Budget? when you've got, or, uh, oh, no, sorry, okay. yeah. you know, critical um, socioeconomic problem yeah. that's immiserating and uh, distressing a specific section of the country. Of all the tools the government has at its disposal to help rebuild and repair this damaged community, Mm. the army is usually the best at it. It's what they're trained for. Of course. 
I it's, think their their motto is social conscious action. Yeah. I don't know, but I've been told government food is getting cold. <laughs> Hurry up. Help people. Gallipoli was really about the struggle to provide affordable housing. Um, well, you good friends of mine, you just sit there and you listen up. We're here to help people, to make people feel good. <laughs> I won't take no negative attitude from you Debbie Downers. I tried to go for the drill sergeant, but I kind of ended up at Stone Cold. It's completely fucking insane. But anyway, we should skip to some details. Um, in case we have any confused listeners. In 2007... <laughs> in case, yeah. In 2007, Australia was ruled by a clique of ossified uh, xenophobic culture warriors mm. who were determined to enrich uh, a small percentage of the country's mercantile classes at the expense of education programs, social programs, and infrastructure spending across the board. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. It is true. It is very true. Uh, there were also uh, war criminals. Mm. And they received, in 2007, a report called Little Children Are Sacred, which was... Actually, it was given to the then Chief Minister of the Northern Territory. Uh, it was commissioned... Or was chaired, rather by uh, the Board of Inquiry into the Protection of Aboriginal Children from Sexual Abuse. Mm. And the report's authors were Rex Wild QC, who mm. was a state prosecutor, and Patricia Anderson, who is a uh, actually very reputable um, Indigenous Corporations chairperson and health and rights campaigner. Mm-hmm. What the report found was that in certain... Uh, rural and isolated rural areas in the Northern Territory, mm-hmm. um, there was a serious um, case of economic deprivation, of service deprivation, and of um, uh, essentially chronic health uh, issues. There was also documentation of child sexual abuse. Mm. Now, there's an extraordinarily important um, point to to include with the child sexual abuse findings, uh, Parche Kerryanne Kennelly, <laughs> there was not significant evidence that the Aboriginal community itself was a font of exceptionally active uh, paedophile behaviour. Mm. The um, child sexual abuse could just as easily have been attributable to non-Indigenous care workers and inspectors who passed through the area. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, yeah, exactly. Anybody familiar with the way that the, the DHS functions in this country mm. will know that they are probably actually worse than the church as far as employing child sex offenders is concerned historically. Yeah, well, if you can get it government-sanctioned, it's like one step better than... Uh, church sanctioned because you know you don't need to shield yourself in <coughs> bureaucracy to protect you from the government if they're already employing you to do it exactly so and if you're there to oversee the problem mm. of course you're the person with the first and last word on what the problem is so it's a uh, extraordinarily decent camouflage yes 
Not saying that everyone at the uh, DHS is a nonce, by the way, just that they have a very, very, very unfortunate history of employing nonces to uh, conduct childcare work. Yeah, yeah. The sort of thing that really people should have seen coming, I guess. Yes. Uh, Now, the report says that neglect of children, in a more broad sense, in the community had reached crisis. Goodness gracious me. I don't think the listener will have heard that, but there was an exceptionally loud notification. Yes, your Deacon account settings are out of date. Uh, yeah, Kieran. because they don't interact with Outlook on the computer. So. Uh, I fucking hate Outlook. What a shit program. Yeah, who doesn't? I, I, I love that people, <clears throat> uh, that universities and small businesses only mm. it seem to insist on using it still. Yeah, I really like logging into my email account to get five overdue notices that <laughs> it's just automatically been added to my calendar from emails that I've gotten from the fucking postgraduate scone eating society in Geelong. <laughs> so, well, no, I'm not going to be at that event, am I? Dismissal. None of you are going to be there. Not to make light of the uh, the topic. Let's. Well, quite. So there were, there were 97 recommendations in the report regarding uh, alcohol restrictions, healthcare provision, and uh, some other, other health and uh, safety concerns. Mm-hmm. But here's what happened. Mm-hmm. The federal government completely and totally, um, firstly, misunderstood, because uh, those of you who remember him, the Indigenous Affairs Minister at that point was the extremely Indigenous Mal Bruff, mm. a <laughs> like mm. sixth-generation white Australian farmer and mm. former military officer and entrepreneur, so pretty much the most trustworthy person in the country. Yeah. Um, they almost like <laughs> seem to have a fucking like negative correlation. They do, don't qualifications they? and portfolios. Yeah, they really do. I mean, that was one of one of Howard's only specialism. Turned out to be keeping um, the lid on just how insane these people actually were, which mm. was a Herculean <laughs> feat. I've got to give him credit where it's due. <laughs> so we, right? Like yeah. we thought they were evil, but it was only after he. Yeah. Um, retired that we realised just how fucking stupid they all were. That's yeah. amazing. Whew. It must have been a thankless task to be John Howard. It should have been. I mean, it should ship. be, in fact. I think he's... If yeah. anything yeah. ought to be a thankless task, it should be being John Howard. <laughs> yeah. He's a... Well, I don't know about intelligent, but, like, he's not fucking criminally stupid like his peers. So, yeah, it must have been torture. Good. So, <laughs> here's what happened. Mel Bruff and John Howard, mm. either because they were thick as pig shit or because they were as malicious and ghastly as a fantasy villain, mm. uh, or possibly both, yeah, decided that neglect and abuse were essentially synonymous terms. Of and course. therefore, um, this community was like positively responsible for mm. causing harm to children. And invaded them. Yeah. Uh, They dismantled the few uh, economic development schemes that were showing, yielding positive results. One of which was a scheme that allowed welfare recipients to essentially pull their welfare take and use it for, um, you know, attempting to, uh, attempts to build up the local community's kind of business yeah. and interest, which I, I all the hate sh- all because the sort of shit that the government should have been you shouldn't have to pull yeah. your fucking welfare for that. That should be a totally separate revenue yeah. stream 
Ah, that's mental. Yeah. <laughs> Your subsistence entitlements, should you shouldn't have to be using those to also do development yeah. work. The payments that are already almost impossible to live on yeah. and then pulling but, them together so that you can get some fucking clean drinking water. But they were, right? Yeah. And these schemes employed about a third of the working adults in the district. Right. Um, so true go-getters... It's actually, like, a lot of this is a story about people who've been essentially left out to die, mm. um, refusing to do so. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, of course, b- being deserving of an invasion. <laughs> the, yeah. the report made it very clear mm. that the problems afflicting these communities were not a result of malfeasance on behalf of the actual Aboriginal community. They made it very mm. clear mm. that they were all the predictable consequences of setting communities up in isolated, logistically impossible areas. You have to remember that these are uh, communities which <clears throat> don't have ready access to any vibrant economic centre of mm. any kind. Mm have been subject to basically apartheid policing since the European arrival at Australia and up until literally now physically military, but even before then, Northern Territory police behave appallingly in their treatment of the Indigenous community. Yeah. You know, we have, I think, roughly one-third of the NT is Aboriginal and 97%, I think, of the prison takers, Indigenous people. Yeah, it's, it's something like that. Don Dale Detention Centre's basically just there to torture yeah. Indigenous children. Like, there's no Yeah, way more or less, it. yeah. Um, and, yeah, basically, the, <laughs> the report was saying, look, there are, you know, there are circums... Oops, sorry. I didn't We've mean for it to squeak. I had to adjust Darcy's no, mic had to, to try adjust and my microphone. attenuate the plosives. But, sorry uh, about the plosives. I'm, uh, it's a very dry day. I'm, 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 I'm inclined to close when I'm dry. No, I think it's just been happening. i got to get a pop filter for it or something. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, we have the essentially the report said, mm. through no fault of the community, they've been placed in an unviable economic position. Mm-hmm. There's no uh, public transport, for instance. The roads are very poor. Yeah. Access to the internet is not meaningful. There's nothing in the way of modern education facilities that are adequate to uh, maintaining a kind of competitive workforce. Yeah. There's not sufficient health provision. Uh, the um, license stripping conducted by the Northern Territory Police on the Indigenous communities has meant that even a lot of the roads aren't usable for a huge percentage of the community, Yeah. right, because they've had their licences confiscated for trivial offences, like not paying fines and fucking speeding and so forth. Speeding in the Northern Territory where there's nothing on the road. (laughs) Yeah. For God's sake. It's a huge, uh, the big, I talked about it a little bit, but the Free the People campaign deals with a huge number of, I think they focus particularly on Aboriginal women, but a huge number of people are given parking fines that they're unable to pay for and then eventually they're just put in prison for it. And it's not like, you know, as I've had my license confiscated, that's an inconvenience in Melbourne. Yeah. If you're living in a remote part of the Northern Territory... You're fucked without a license. Yeah. Completely fucked. And the fact that it could be confiscated for speeding, Mm. when you know the roads 
like the back of your hand when there is no public transport, where if you drive at the speed limit, it will take you a week to get from the fucking shop back to your house, yeah. is preposterous. Mm. And it's not something that happens to Caucasian Australians. No. You know, not, uh, not even close. Mm. So, yes, we have this report that essentially says this community is in crisis because the government has politically... Uh, economically and culturally isolated it, marginalised it, and stifled its development. Yeah. And the response to that, instead of anything that the support report uh, suggested that we should do, like, you know, a housing plan, an employment plan, and an in- infrastructure plan, mm. uh, was, yeah, to essentially invade the region. They basically sacked the Indigenous Corporation, which was the local government entity, Mm. effectively, and replaced it with their own appointees. They brought in a ban on alcohol and pornography. Mm. Pornography? Why? They're all about that. Um, They're all about that shit. They're trying to do it to decent, God-fearing white people as well with their facial recognition. Another uh, great way to combat a suspected paedophile scare is to ban MILF porn. That's true. There's a direct correlation there. Um, It's such puritanical, like, old world, like, they're getting too excited from all the pornography and they're taking it out on kids. Like, I I assume that that's their uh, line of thought. I think it's just about... equally grotesque and and moronic. I think it's just power and control. Well, yeah, Um, yeah, sure. And... The um, oh, dad <laughs> veered off the fucking um, basics card was essayed, right? For the first time, this yeah. idea that your expenditures would be uh, essentially advance vetted by the government. Mm. So you were only allowed to purchase, you know, X items from X list, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And the effect on the community has been horrendous. All of the metrics have gone backwards for quality of life, for mental health, for education, for employment, for income. Everything has gone backwards since we invaded and annexed this uh, Indigenous community to the federal government. And I can't see how it can be described as anything other than a crime against humanity. Well, uh, I think that that's pretty fucking apt, really. I want to talk a bit, uh, and it's about not. That. No one seems to. <clears throat> no one seems to care. It's not in the, you know, it's not in the press. You know, the yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. horses at the cup are currently getting more simple. Like, fair enough. Horse racing's barbaric. Mm. Yes, but there's been barely a whimper or a sniff. Well, because it's an ongoing story, so... <laughs> so is the Melbourne Cup. Good luck. Well, so are no, the detention centres. So the, well, all right, fair enough. And the detention centres are political football, and we would need a party to take a strong stance <sighs> against the intervention. Look, I know the reasons. I want to talk uh, for a second about the, the in, what's become the Indu card, that, that basics card, mm. uh, which is now being rolled out to... Or, like... Uh, Proposed to be rolled out. I'm not sure what stage it's at, but I know that uh, they've expanded it a little bit and turned it into the Indu card, and that costs $10,000 per person to set up. So you're talking nearly a year of welfare payment because the welfare payment is so fucking paltry uh, to set it, which is just pure corporate 
grift, like, because they do well, it through one of the banks. And yeah. it's that thing of, like, if you ask for money for free, uh, then you can maybe get, you know, a couple of hundred bucks if you fucking show Peter Dutton your asshole so that he's, uh, like, satisfied that there are no Muslims hiding in it. But if you're a bank and you get contracted to set up a card, you can just claim that they cost $10,000 and... Pocket, you only get free money if you're a, profit. If you're a bent businessman is the only way to get free money in Australia. Yeah. So that's just an extra wrinkle to, to the intervention is not only is it like disgusting on a, on a weird, like governmental moral power sort of level, but it's also like all of these sites of misery in, uh, in Australia and a lot of countries. Today, just the site of corporate leeching as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this has been a profit-making exercise for private companies. That shouldn't be um, that shouldn't be overlooked. This absolutely has been a profit-making exercise for private yeah. companies. So every uh, poor indigenous person who has to go on a basics card just represents an opportunity for a white dude in a bank. Well, he might not be white, but might not be he, but... A fucking bank. An asshole in a bank. Yeah. One of the... Um, most of them are white. One of the most... Most of them are men. Central... Yeah. <laughs> shut up, Kieran. One of the most <laughs> central facets to the report yeah. was that the government ought to be... And remember, this report was not given to the federal government. This report was given to the Northern Territorial yeah. Government, yeah, sure. which was the government that had commissioned it. Mm-hmm. Um and it was intended that they would be the government that took action. And now, whether the chief minister had any intention of helping or not, in fact, is not something that I know. Mm. But it's interesting that she wasn't given a chance to actually do anything before the tanks rolled in. Yeah. Remember, the Northern Territory government doesn't have the same sovereignty uh, degrees that state governments yeah. do. Uh, a key, 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 central, 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 fundamental, fundamental fundamental part of this report Mm. was the fact that if the government wanted to alleviate the distress in the surveyed or the investigated communities, they must give the communities the lead in tackling the problem Mm -hmm. and provide logistical and financial support to community solutions. Yeah. Right? What happened was the absolute inverse of that. Yeah. I don't believe that Aboriginal people in Australia have been less politically uh, liberated Mm. or more politically oppressed than this community uh, outside of the old mission system. Yeah, probably. I mean... Their autonomy has been absolutely completely taken away from them Mm. and that is the fundamental first principle of why the community is suffering in the first place yeah because they were doing just fine with completely untrammeled authority for the fucking thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of years that they were kicking around before we got here I mean, presumably, sometimes people were unhappy. Well, they presumably, were doing, they were doing fine in as far as people are probably capable of doing fine. Yeah, which is to say that they had... There would have been, you know, an enormous yeah. array of, of cultural and, you know, political issues that were crippling and infuriating for them as well. But yeah. they definitely were in a 
in arguably uh, relatively better better position uh, than they are now. Yeah. As this community in particular. And the Labour Party has been criticised for basically just continuing this policy. Yeah. Which, um, surprise attack, Labour haters, not true. Mm. I'm going to take your claims of mindless and craven continuity mm. and I'm going to raise you not one, but two changes of name for the initiative. Oh, okay. Yeah. Plus- This is interesting. This actively is choosing to extend it to 2023. That's good politics. So, uh, fuck you, haters. Labor mm. is uh, beyond complicit in this. They actually have positively endorsed it. Yeah. So that's awesome. There are communities in Australia where um, like alcohol is banned, mm. but that is in every other case- Currently, that's because community leaders have requested of the state government that an alcohol ban be put in place, which is a completely different mm. situation to just having it shoved on you. Mm. If you go to Alice Springs, for instance, you or I could happily wander into a, an off-license and buy a bottle of wine. Mm. But if you're Indigenous... You get your ID checked at the door by a security guard. You get it checked again by the cashier. Yeah. And you could be arbitrarily refused service regardless. Yeah. Um, I saw an interesting... There's this fucking Twitter account that is kicking around at the moment uh, set up to dispel myths <clears throat> about uh, Indigenous Australians. And uh, statistically, a greater percentage of Indigenous people choose not to drink compared to white Australians, which doesn't surprise me at all. Doesn't I mean, surprise me. It's Make your life a lot fucking easier. Yeah, and especially if you've got all of this horse shit That's what I mean, with. like yeah. with all of this horse shit being shoved at you and with all of these, you know, racist assumptions being thrown at you. Yeah, whereas in the these, land of um, white Australia, it's traditional to the, go and have a drink forced down your throat before you step into the halls of parliament to decide the fate of the... Oh, people of the tell you what, politicians continent. should be breathalyzed before they walk into the chamber. I think that, like, being a politician should be a profound fucking, like, monk-like level of ascetic living. I agree. You should have to completely give up your <laughs> family name, agree. all titles and wealth, wear nothing but fucking sackcloth, and just study fucking civics every night by candlelight, in bed by nine. No booze, no fucking... Drugs. They definitely... Fat cigars. This is the thing, you know, uh, if we're going to test welfare recipients, mm. the idea that politicians can take public money yeah. whilst they mismanage the government yeah. while they're drunk, people are fine with. Yeah. People are absolutely fine with. Mm. But if you're on New Start, you can't have a glass of wine on your bloody yeah. mother's birthday or whatever. It's yeah, fucking yeah, yeah. crazy. It's you have to make sure that most of that money goes to private corporations instead of the majority of it going back in tax to state and federal governments. I'm not one of those people who says like, oh, well, if you're going to drug test welfare recipients, then drug test parliamentarians as well, because, you know, I don't think that you should drug test uh, welfare recipients. And no, but you should drug test parliamentarians. I don't think you should drug test them. I think you should just, like I say, no, I think make them prisoners. Because I think they're, you should keep them under they're overseeing. They're overseeing a prohibition regime that they are flouting. So therefore, I think they should be screened and tested regularly. 
no, until they, then until they choose to, to end then prohibition. The, then the good pro-legalization politicians would all be de facto screened out or they would have to... Disagree. I think Just they, put them in prison, man. They, they can the, fucking legislate from prison. They There's have the intelligence and the self-control mm. to just not take drugs for a couple of years. Yeah, all right. I mean, they're basically animals. It's so the corrupt Tories who you'll catch because they have no impulse control. They're, yeah. As you say, animals. Yeah. They're ruled by primal passions of fear and envy and lust. Cool. It's what a bit a off topic. Mess. Uh, <laughs> it is. It is such a tremendous, like, uh, tremendous bummer. And I know that that word really sells it short, but like a kind of gobsmacking injustice, uh, which you know none of us should be surprised about at this point. But. It's a tremendous injustice, and the effects go beyond this one or the, the, this group of communities. Oh, of course. Right? Because the uh, racist cretins of the commercial television and radio networks mm. are now emboldened to just say, oh, yeah, the indigenous communities, they're full of child sex abuse. All of them. Yeah. Drug abuse and child sex abuse. That's what it's like out there. That's what it's like. As, as soon as you pass Melbourne's city limits, mm. you're just surrounded by half-empty jerry cans of sniffing oil and broken yeah. syringes and burnt teaspoons and child pornography just hanging from the trees. Yeah. Like fucking well, remember the fucking petrol sniffing fruit. thing, how quickly that fucking uh stereotype was manufactured and disseminated when we were young and it was just like it was huge in the 90s wasn't it i know that fucking hildebrand has fairly recently posted an joe article. hildebrand needs to get sent back to fucking new zealand yeah yeah he's uh as far as i'm concerned joe hildebrand is now a criminal demagogue like there's no two ways about it he's one of those small insects where the bite doesn't bother you that much so you're like ah oh, fuck get off and then it gives you like uh fucking dengue fever or something yeah. and you perish because of it he's a pernicious pernicious influence he's recently posted an article uh claiming that uh, the Australian Institute of Criminology's report on domestic violence proves that there's a higher rate of domestic violence in Indigenous communities. Now, granted, I haven't run the numbers and I haven't read the AIC's report. However, I bet, I bet that there's a correlation. If if such a, a disproportion exists, I bet there's a correlation to fucking wealth because that's always what it is. It's poverty and crime that go hand in hand. And if you want Aboriginal people to commit less crime, stop fucking keeping them poor. Stop treating them like animals. Treat them like humans. It's not just Give poverty the as well. They need. It's power. Mm. Remember, money is power tokens. Yeah. And the fact is, if you're born into a rural indigenous community in Australia, mm. you have less influence on society. You mm. have fewer prospects. Yeah. You have less respect from the people, the society around you at large. Yeah. That is usually quite bad for people's mental health. Yeah. Um, and people who commit acts of domestic violence, yeah, they tend to be people who have very low self-esteem. Mm. They tend to be people who have very little self-respect. I'm not suggesting that Aboriginal people have relatively less self-respect, but if you've got marginalised communities, 
Yeah. You they're, will find that commonality. You will in find... greater numbers kept in conditions which yeah. encourages. Sure, they are. Uh, but you could say that of a lot of marginalised households in Australia. Yeah, where DV rates are also higher. And exactly. also this is not to take into account uh, reporting and conviction because, it again, used to be, I uh, haven't run the fucking numbers, but I would bet you fucking $1,000 that conviction rates are disproportionately high in Aboriginal oh, communities. Oh, of course they are. Because 97% of the pr- prison population, I won't, or whatever that... I won't take that whatever bet. Whatever that number is. And I bet you that fucking when Barnaby Joyce is swelling up his upper torso and thrashing it against his wife like an angry fucking lion seal, that... She doesn't go to elephant the cops. Seal, and the, he, right. Elephant seal. <laughs> sea lion, elephant seal. Uh, fuck, I ruined my own far too grim bit. It's a, really, uh, it's, she, a good, it's a good analogy. She probably doesn't go to the cops and he definitely doesn't fucking face the music for it. So all of these things that just like, you've just got to be, you don't have to be smart, but you just have to be a little bit smarter than well, fucking Joe Hildebrand. I'll tell you to this, pause this data out. if you uh, don't speak to the criminologists, but speak mm. to people who work in actual social yeah. work, they will tell you that the real rate of domestic violence dwarfs the publicly available statistics yep. to the point at which those statistics are actually not very fucking useful. Yeah. Because yeah. virtually all of the middle class of Australia is exempt from those statistics. Mm. Yeah. Virtually all of it. That is millions of people. Yeah, 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 yeah. A hundred percent. I don't know what the makeup of the Australian Institute of Criminology is, but I'm assuming it's based at one of the big universities and I'm assuming it's predominantly... They've got branches, I believe. I know Melbourne University has a branch. Um, Okay. But I think they work a lot out of ANU. But they're a good... They're actually a good um, organization. My you point, get a lot of valuable information. My point from isn't them. to to uh, denigrate criminology or yeah. statistical analysis no, I know. of crime. I just thought just I'd throw that, that in as a bit yeah, to say they are actually very good. It's just that they can only work with publishable statistics. They come from a particular perspective, from a from a rarefied, non engaged perspective of statistical analysis. And also, I haven't again. I haven't read that report. I'm just assume that anything that Joe Hildebrand says is disingenuous. Yeah, and we have, of course, police bias involved in these statistics as well Mm. um, because the police assume that there are particular rates of crime in Indigenous communities, so that's where they focus their energies, so that's where they find evidence of crime. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. Absolute fascists. It's just uh, the model as it exists now is demonstrably uh, not that useful. Uh, hey there, listener. Uh, I felt a little bad about uh, how unrigorous my uh, position was here because I didn't expect to have to uh, take Joe Hildebrand down today, but I wanted to follow up just to make sure that my uh, instincts were correct. Uh, and I'm pleased and saddened to report that uh, they were. He's using this study in an extremely disingenuous way. Uh, from the report, uh, first, uh, the likelihood of domestic violence reoffending appears to be higher in more socioeconomically disadvantaged communities, uh, and those in highly disadvantaged areas were also at a greater risk of violent domestic uh, violence reoffending compared with those in the areas of least disadvantage. So, what he's chosen to interpret that is, uh, in in his words. Uh, there was a massive concentration of domestic violence in disadvantaged and indigenous communities, uh, and that alcohol was also a driving factor. 
it found that it, in fact, it was a tiny minority of men who were responsible for a vastly disproportionate amount of abuse. So he's trying to put the blame onto uh, minority groups and disadvantaged people, and also to really play up the recidivist angle to uh, to to decry the idea that there's a domestic violence problem in this country, which is fucking like pretty bold and pretty wild. Uh, Karen Williams uh, for the Guardian wrote a response. Uh, to this article, uh, which is very good. So I want to read just a little bit uh, from this uh, to, to back me up. Uh, she's a doctor who, who works in the field, apparently. Uh, the study immediately identifies that reporting rates of violence for women are only about 30, uh, 30%. In other words, 70% of women who are abused do not report the abuse at all. Check. Uh, the study also states very early on that the collated data is almost exclusively from police and courts. In essence, the paper does not represent most cases of domestic violence. Check. Hildebrand stated that there was a massive concentration of domestic violence and disadvantaged in indigenous communities. Uh, Karen Williams says, keeping in mind that this is mostly police data, we need to remember that the police are much more likely to charge and incarcerate an Aboriginal person for all types of crimes. Check. And then she says... Poverty was also raised as being the cause of domestic violence. When this is done, my interpretation is that it is an attempt to other victims and offenders by suggesting it, it is an issue only for those with socioeconomic disadvantage. And this is an interesting uh, uh, point of sort of subtlety that I want to unpick because uh, while I tend to take the materialist uh, viewpoint that, yeah, material conditions are largely responsible for the for the levels of crimes and stuff that you see because I'm not an essentialist. Uh, I'm not an essentialist, so I don't believe that uh, uh, poor people are inherently less worthy. Uh, whereas people like Hildebrand will try to use this to suggest that, uh, uh, poor people are fine and rich people like, uh, sorry, poor people are monsters and rich people like him are fine. This obviously involves like a, a very like puritanical moralist viewpoint, uh, that situates them as, as almost another species. Uh, so yeah, uh, Karen Williams says, uh, while the data set demonstrates greater numbers of police reports in poorer areas, it also included the following. Non-physical forms of violence such as shouting, provoking arguments, and controlling behaviours were found to be more common among offenders with higher levels of education and employment, and offenders who self-report coercive or controlling behaviours were more likely to have completed Year 12 or above and to earn $100,000 per annum or more. So, uh, non-prosecutable uh, or, you know seldom prosecuted forms of domestic violence are uh, not represented well in these statistics the way that Hildebrand parses it out. So I'm sure you all knew that Hildebrand was uh, a dumb brain, but since I didn't have the data to back me up uh, against his data analysis, I just did a, little, a quick little check and I wanted to share the information with you. Anyway, back to me uh, cruelly assaulting the discipline of criminology. Stuff like the extensive and in-depth report, uh, Save the Children, was yeah, it? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's, you can get the PDF, it's free, it's a huge report, yeah. it's a very interesting report. In-depth um, stuff like that is more useful, but of course you have to actually listen to the findings. To, yes, you do, and you have to be them. able to understand the findings, and it seems that the Howard government were not able to do that. Mm. And I'm sorry, I, I tell a lie. Um, the Rudd and Gillard governments amended the act four times. Oh, okay. Four times. Yeah. So. Of the 90s, because I think uh, we 
of the 97 recommendations, they haven't put any in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the so thing. the ban on alcohol was kind of like it counts for half a point, mm. but it's not a full point because it was supposed to be in consultation with community leadership if yeah. the community leadership feel it's necessary. Yeah. The writers of the report were making it very clear that they were not speaking for the community. Mm. It was very much a case of these are some issues that we need to address in dialogue with community leaders. Yeah who should be responsible for overseeing and taking the initiative on yeah. correcting these problems. Mm. So zero, zero points. Pretty well zero points. Yeah, I think we touched on that very briefly um, in the Dondale episode if, where they also did like five out of 90. If you want to include the thing where the federal government used the army, which is trained to kill other armies that are trying to invade America's offshore assets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I nearly made a mistake then. Um, and use that to invade and occupy this territory. We're mm. on minus points for recommendations. Oh, yeah. Because one of the recommendations was absolutely not, we should invade this town with an army. Is it the only domestic <clears throat> military occupation in the developed world? Outside of Israel. Um, well, yeah, Israel doesn't count. Because it's fucking. That's just I don't know. It's a, a whole a whole separate fucking thing. <laughs> um, of people who are nominally citizens. Of people who are nominally citizens, then probably I think it is. Yeah. I mean, there might be I, something somewhere, but I it's can't on think par of with like. But then, if they keep theirs as quiet as we keep ours, who's to really know? Who's to know? That's a that's a very good very good point. Um, it's on par with some of what Bolsonaro is planning for the tribes, people of the Amazon, of the like the Mato Grosso, and so on. Yeah, um, it's on par with some of what sparked the uh, revolution that split Sudan into two countries. Yeah, um, it's on par with um, some pretty horrific fucking crimes that are happening globally. Yeah, but in the kind of Cold War, first world countries, I yeah. think it's fairly unique yeah. to Australia. The French aren't doing anything equivalent in their Pacific Island territories. Um, hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. Well, we need to move on, so I want to wrap it up by uh, emphasizing that I use Australia only as a useful semiotic uh, designator for the, of the uh, continent and that Australia is a fake idea. And I'm in favour of a third chamber of parliament, as I've said before, and then dissolve the other two chambers and just give the fucking First Nations a chance to govern their own land. I would be in favour of that, but for the violent backlash from all of the Australians who don't... Well, take, yeah, that would kick don't, off... A, don't take enough Metamucil. Kick but off I, the next wave of genocide. But it was great when they said, oh, we should have, a, we should have an Indigenous voice in Parliament because yeah. shit like this happens. Mm. Um, they said, oh, we can't have a third chamber. I thought, why? It'd be great. Yeah. Even people who advocate, like, oh, don't worry, it wouldn't be a third chamber. Well, this is, this like, is the frustrating thing. The voice, should, the voice to be. Parliament <laughs> is just like a toothless advisory body. Because it won't be acknowledged if it's not a third chamber. Yeah. Maybe, like, get rid of that pointless Senate. If we're not going to have a citizen jury in the senate just then yeah. give it to the first nations people that would be an interesting dynamic wouldn't it we need some new fucking politics 
fix some new political structures, so why not that? I'd rather it not happen through violence, because I'm a wuss and I don't like yeah, me too. violent revolutions. I'm, I'm not very good at them. I think yeah. I would die soon and painfully. <laughs> yeah. I <laughs> Have think... my head kicked in by somebody with the IQ of a broken toaster. Yeah. I think outside of violence, probably a lot is n- not a lot is going to happen. So it's incumbent on all of us to just be irritating and agitate for yeah. it at all times. And if you have a friend that you encounter who says some shit about indigenous people, just tear into them. It'll get violent when the um, climate crisis destroys money. Yeah. Maybe fucking indigenous people will get a, a, a some slack cut for them then because we'll all be too occupied with shooting people on boats coming here. I'm glad you said slack cut, because I was worried you were about to suggest they'd have some kind of post-apocalypse bonus points and they're like character oh, bells. Oh, yeah, you thought I was just going <laughs> to... Like, yeah. Hang on, Kieran. I am, as a diehard, racial essentialist. <laughs> no. I, I mean, probably traditional knowledge of uh, of the land is advantageous in a world where society Yeah, but is like only before climate change has destroyed the ecosphere. Yeah, yeah it's a They'd be in the same position that. that we would be. Because yeah. nothing, everything, there'd be like death claws stalking around. It'd be <sighs> awful. All right. Fuck. Thanks, Darcy, for bringing us... Uh, so justice this. for the Northern Territory, yeah. disband the police, and maybe use the army for army stuff. Or, yeah. better idea, don't use the army for anything. Yeah. Just, like, let people who want to do that run around and play war games. Yeah. Fund the Society for Creative <laughs> Anachronism. Expand its remit. If somebody's, like, I'm a nutcase who wants to be mm. in the army and run around and play war games like Marcus did, yeah. awesome, do that, that's fine. We just shouldn't use it to actually go and achieve yeah. things. It should just be a role-playing sort of thing for... Yeah. For whack jobs. I mean, that's what it is 99% of yeah. the time. Those exercises where they're like, I don't, I've always been curious about how that works when you come across the other company and you go like, bang, pow, like pow, you, shoot your, yeah. you shoot your blanks or whatever. And then somebody is like, we're dead. Like there's no way of accurately simulating it. So presumably they do the thing that happened with that, like war with Iran simulation where they're just like, oh, uh, the American missile hit the Iranian missile missed. I guess these days, with the missile stuff, they can mm. use computers to work out trajectories and yields and stuff, and yeah. that would be totally accurate so to real like life. firing like, mortar, like, and then like it all, turns to like watch it always is. They're like, well, that totally, exactly will be what happens in the real yeah. world, because everything They're just works. running the deadliest warriors <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> software, but with just the generic army guy loaded in for both parties. Hmm, it seems to be a real roll of the dice. And this is all said without any actual like malice per se mm. for the whack jobs who want to be in the army. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, probably quite an unhinged, unstable I person can myself. Of, I can, I, I grew up as a boy <laughs> in the fucking late twentieth century. I can appreciate the, uh, the appeal of all of that shit. Yeah, but, just you, know, you just play Call of Duty or something. Oh yeah, or no, a, join the army, but don't make the army do stuff. Yeah, just the second them. they try to make you kill somebody, just quit and be like, Haha, nice spend of thousands of dollars, dickheads. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this was fun. <laughs> yeah, should we move on? Yes, we extended that to what, like forty minutes? 45? Fifty minutes. Well, well no, because there was, was intro there time. Was five I or ten minutes of intro time. Uh, all right. Well, topic two.
Topic two. What's topic two, Kieran Stevenson? Uh, well, my caveat is that I've spent the entire week working on shit which I can't talk about. Uh, Ooh. No, I can talk about it, just it's not interesting. I oh, mean, right. I see. Doing doing work, doing uni work and doing work for this exhibition that I've got with Mads. So, like, I can't talk about any of that shit because nobody wants to listen about it. Because when you say but, I can't talk about it, it makes people think yeah, it's no, more I, interesting. I realised... Uh, I realized what I was saying as I was saying it. Uh, the one thing that I did manage to do extracurricular uh, over the past couple of weeks is for this exhibition, there was quite a lot of drawing work to do. So I watched fucking the second season of Mindhunter. Mm. So I want to talk about Mindhunter. Could, could you start various... by telling me what Mindhunter is? Because mm. I don't think I've heard of it. Mindhunter is a an adaptation of a book by the guy who invented criminal profiling for the FBI. Oh, okay. So the liar who lied. Yes. Uh, it was started up by David Fincher. I'm not sure to what degree he's still involved, but like he directed the first few episodes of the first season. I think he's an executive producer or whatever. I was about to say, I don't think we can blame David Fincher for yeah. the FBI's terrible um, profiling system. Yeah. Uh, so... It's a really interesting show because what it is masquerading as is a sort of lightly fictionalized history of the development of the very solid science of criminal profiling, uh, which uh, upon which we all depend today. Yes. Uh, in, Without which we would not have the lack of which. Yes. In practice, what it is is uh, like meeting out very sort of like bit by bit all of the scenes with serial killers, which is what you want to watch where they're interviewing serial killers because that's the interesting part of the show. So it's like a serial killer show, but they're masquerading it as this like historical uh, kind of thing. All of the characters I think are fictional, like Holden Ford is the main guy. They get a bit of play out of that that's, joke. I he's like, like that. there's a bit where he's like, oh, it's a... A good joke in Australia or whatever. Yeah, it would be. It would be hilarious. Uh, so he is a stand-in for John E. When those were still things we had. Longbottom, whatever the fucking real guy's name is. He's a stand-in for the guy okay. who wrote the book. And then his partner is Bill Tench, who uh, I'm informed is daddy by the internet. Apparently Bill Tench is daddy. And then... That's good. I like how the internet's doing these things. Yep, yep. <laughs> Relatable, cogent... Uh, uh, cultural expressions. Uh, and then there is uh, Wendy, Dr. Wendy, who's like a psychologist who they bring on to help. That's the, the, the principal cast, right? So in the first season, they interview, it's mostly like about establishing the thing and they interview Ed Kemper, uh, who is the, was known as the co-ed killer, who's like this really articulate uh, uh, fucking dude who speaks very like openly about his, his motivations and desires for killing a bunch of women, uh, played by the dude who is in the, that fucking terrible umbrella Academy show. Never saw it. Well, it's dog shit, but if listener, if for some reason you've seen umbrella Academy and not, uh, mind Hunter, Ed Kemper is played by the dude who plays one of the agents in that. And this is a serial killer. And the whole time, Darcy, mm. you're watching this show. You're like, give me more with Ed Kemper. What's going to happen? What's happening? There's, then they have the interview scene with the guy who's holding a bird and then he throws his bird into a fan and it's like, whoa, these unhinged people. And at the end of the first season, Ed Kemper like 
makes a move as if he's going to hurt the main guy, but you know he's not going to hurt him because there's another that season. guy is still fucking alive that he's based on. Yeah. So oh, also that. So the first also season, real reality. Yeah, yeah. So the first season ends on a panic attack, and uh, it's so slow. Strangely magnetic. Do they sort so of go into the um, fraudulent well, this science is, behind this? This is kind of what I want to talk about. Okay. Because this is what fundamentally why I couldn't work the uh, the second season out. Because I it, at times it felt like it was doing that. It felt like it was pointing out uh, its inadequacies and, and essentially fictional nature. But I think what they seem to be setting up, because eventually the dude who wrote the book became like the chair of the division that handled behavioral science after a while or whatever, the unit head. So he had a heroic arc long before criminal profiling was discredited. So I can't see how they can really pull it off in the show. But in the second season focuses on the Atlanta child killings in which uh, 30 odd, I think it's like 29 kids were strangled to death and dumped in woods and rivers around like Atlanta and some in Georgia, I think. And the whole season is them in Atlanta trying to track this guy down and, and Holden Ford being like, I'm sure that it's a young black man in his twenties or thirties, uh, probably gay. Cause he thinks that they're like sexual crimes. Yeah. Uh, probably you know, this is a member of Antifa. Yeah. 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 Who wants to make a probably left wing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he drives a police type vehicle. And I didn't know anything about the Atlanta child killings, really, uh, apart from having heard of them before watching it. So I was like, along for the ride, right? Mm. They bring up all of these things, like uh, Dr. Wendy is a gay woman, and so she is kind of like struggling with like how out to be in the 70s in, in the US or whatever. She's got this relationship with this woman who's got a kid, and it's all like fraught kind of relationship stuff. And it's at first you're like, what's happening with this? It seems completely disconnected from the point of the story. However, then they interview like uh, a gay serial killer and people in the room as they're talking through the profiling process start to be like, oh, because it's a deviance or whatever. And she starts to stand up for, for that, you know, for gay people. Good. So far, so good. Then they go to Atlanta and they're chasing this guy who uh, they think is gay and you think that she's going to have some instrumental role, but she doesn't even fucking go to Atlanta. She stays back at Quantico, fucking having her relationship story completely parallel. So when they rule out the gay thing for the killer and suggest that it's uh, got more to do with, like, aspirational jealousy, mm. she's nowhere there. That completely falls apart. What was my point? Uh <laughs> So that, no, but that, that part of the profile falls apart, right? So you feel like they're pointing at the fallibility of this science. Yeah. And the then, fact that it's just about prejudice. Yeah. And, dressed up as psychology. And that's a huge part of the case is like members of the community reckon that the KKK were involved in these murders. And eventually they catch this dude and they charge him for uh, a couple of the murders. And as the fucking uh, show presents it... <laughs> which I, we can assume is 100% accurate and not at all driven by narrative concerns. Uh, he, he's never charged for the killings of the kids. He's charged for the murder of two adults, right? Yeah. Who were killed in a similar way. And you think that that's going to point 
to the fallibility. Like maybe the KKK was involved. There's a bit where there's a cop who's saying like, uh, he doesn't believe in any of this profiling shit. And you're like, fuck, maybe it's that dude. And then the guy that they arrest is like, have you tried asking a real cop? And you're like, fuck, maybe it's a real cop. Maybe this is going to be a big gap in the thing. And then it finishes and he goes to trial and he gets sent to jail. And there's like a fucking, uh, caption at the end. That's like the other cases were never retried. And it's just like, we put this dude in prison and we assume he was the right guy. Fuck. But nothing. So as a, as a, as a narrative conceit and audiences are aware of this, of how bogus criminal profiling is, uh, like, it doesn't make any fucking sense. It's just a big fucking wet fart. It's, well, I suppose one of the reasons for criminal profiling's kind of long-running popularity yeah. was that it is an inherently powerful narrative idea. Yeah. Uh, it allows you to turn the perspective or the potential uh, killer into essentially a character. Yeah. And... I suppose it works really well on television and film and in books, you know, when you've got a, a guy trying to work out the criminal profile, it's a compelling way of yeah. showing a murder investigation, which, like, actually aren't very interesting. Yeah. You know, if you were to do a proper police procedural, it would be boring as fuck. It yeah. really would. Well, I mean, they really try to get across how boring it is in Mindhunter. Okay. The great irony of the show is that the most energetic it is, is during this montage where all of the characters are falling asleep in stakeout cars for six <laughs> weeks watching these bridges. Yeah. And everybody's falling asleep and they're getting on each other's nerves and, and being kept up by the sunlight when they're trying to sleep in the afternoon oh, and yeah, stuff like that. Oh, yeah, stakeout would be dreadful, yeah. wouldn't it? And that is set to, like, fucking uh, up-tempo music and it's, like, got quick cuts and you're like, hell yeah, I could get into this show. And then, yeah. This is why we loved you, Finch. Yeah. Immediately, it's like, oh, and now we've got a suspect. Better slow it right back down. Uh, it's Iron Jack's it's innovated plot. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, yeah, yeah, you were saying it would be quite boring. These benefit from being serial killers, but... Yeah, for sure. But I'm just saying, like, criminal profiling was a gift to people who wanted to write stuff about police investigating crimes. Like, yeah. it was just a wonderful, fun idea that you could have you know, essentially uh, an oddball with weird insight into people's minds, building a hilarious and compelling character for everyone to try and find and catch. Yeah. Um, and I think that's probably why it's enjoyed such credibility with people mm. for so long. Narrative, like, efficacy is a powerful tool. It's the same tool that they use for things like, you know, the um, racist interventions in Indigenous communities mm. and... <laughs> Determined to drag us right back down. For, uh, for instance, yeah. just for instance, um, how did you find the show went... Was there any kind of, I suppose, asking, was there any sort of layer of analysis that made it a worthwhile thing to watch, even if it's not enjoyable? I think it's worthwhile to watch. I think it's worthwhile to watch mostly for the performances. I was... The really the only reason I watched season two uh, was for Damon Harriman playing Charles Manson. He played Charles Manson in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's an Australian actor. He's fucking great in um, Perpetual Grace Limited as this like bumbling uh, magician crook or whatever. And he plays Charles Manson for one scene in episode five. And these episodes, scene, though, I'm sure it was a great scene. 
it didn't connect to the rest of it, really. It vaguely connected to one of the cops has a traumatized kid who they're kind of trying to suggest sure, all cops may have become traumatized a, kids. I don't think yeah. that's much of a stretch. Yeah. So this this cops kid fucking witnessed a murder and then tr- put the of a toddler of his then, mother of a toddler uh, oh. by these boys and then puts the toddler on a fucking cross to try and resurrect him or whatever and then spends the rest of the season exhibiting serial killer traits that we all know are accurate like wetting the bed and uh, regressing to childlike uh, habits and stuff. And so it's really good when Charles Manson is there and he's like, these are your kids, man. They're not my kids. I just hear I do what you tell me to do and stuff like that. That's cool. He's there for a scene and then he's fucking gone. And Ed Kemper, the guy who plays Ed Kemper, is fucking amazing. But he's only in like the first two episodes or something. They've been teasing since like the third episode of the first season stuff to do with BTK. Do you know about that guy? Bind, torture, kill. He was a, yeah. I, um, he was the guy who was communicating with the police. He was like leaving clues all yeah. around town. And then the digital the compact disc came out and he left like a thing in the newspaper, you know, in the old um, uh, classifieds communications mm. thing being like, uh, dear police, if I start to use CDs, will like that's protect my identity still? Kind of, he wanted to know <laughs> if it would be okay. And the police left a classified saying, like, uh, yes, BTK, that will be fine, man. <laughs> and so he did, and they read the disc and traced it to his computer and he was arrested. <laughs> and it go. turned out he was like a Boy Scout leader and a Baptist pastor. And yeah, yeah, he was a, a well born All sorts of exactly who you would suspect of being the guy who does bind torture killings. Yeah, so he, he, he gets interstitial scenes at, like, the beginning and end of most episodes or beginning or end of most episodes where it's just, like, a little bit, like... He is photocopying something at the copy shop and the copier breaks down. And so he gets really protective about the thing that's in the guts of the machine and makes the guy dig it out and stuff like that. Yeah, because it's and, a uh, murder clue. Well, yeah, because it's, it's his fucking BTK symbol yeah. or whatever. Uh, and like all of these things... It's, <laughs> he totally would just do that on a public photo. Yeah. He was really thick, by the way, listener. If I, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If my anecdote didn't make that clear enough. <laughs> So this guy they've been teasing and uh, the whole, like it started, the second season started up again and they had one of those scenes and I was like, oh, fuck yeah, BTK. That's right. They're going to catch BTK. They don't. They don't even come close to, they talk about him in the first couple of episodes and then they forget about him. Well, because they didn't until the night. It would have been the late 80s, early 90s. Holy shit, listener. It was 2005. They're fucking never going to get to it on the show. This is, when, there's so many... They, he must have been the one guy that they uh, were involved with courting. He was active. Uh, yeah, I heard that. Obviously, catching listener. Don't write any emails about it. For decades. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I know that the dude who wrote the book like interviewed fucking John Wayne Gacy, so... He'll oh, yeah. come up at some point that I'll watch that fucking show because they'll get some great actor to give an amazing performance as John Wayne Gacy being like, I'm just a fucking clown. I don't know how John So it sounds Chicago like what they really should have that, done but. was just like a series of mini series with each mini series focusing on a serial killer. They should have just done a totally just- fictionalized show where a group of serial killers forms a superhero team or something because that's all I'm watching for, oh, really. Yeah. You and could call like, it Homicide Squad. Yeah, yeah, there you go. 
That's surprisingly good. Uh, not actually, but in its conception. Thank uh, you. Uh, this is your idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so good, good credit allocation. So yeah, in terms of like level of analysis, it's kind of good. It's kind of interesting to watch because it really can't uh, make up its mind because it wants to be progressive, but it's set in fucking the FBI during the seventies at this point. Yeah. So, so you can't show an internally progressive critique of that organization yeah, so today, let alone in the 70s. Yeah. Because it was just post uh, Hoover, J. Edgar Hoover, wasn't it? Yeah, um, I guess. Who, was that his name? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the the like guy who founded it, but also misappropriated it. Yeah, used most of its resources to fucking try to get Martin Luther King to kill himself. Yeah. And it, so it has all of these like uh, nods to progressivism, like the main characters are sort of, they're not progressive, but they don't really care about like gay people or whatever, for example, because that's one of the fascinations of this season. And like the main guy is like, supposed to be endearingly colorblind, I guess. So he's like wrapped up with the uh, black community trying to solve this uh, play and it's black kids being killed. So uh, is, is his colorblindness so, meant to be an analogy for not seeing color? <laughs> well, no, that's what I, that's what I mean. I'm using it in the, oh, in the, uh, I thought you meant endearingly colorblind sense. as in he was a policeman cause he couldn't become a pilot. And he oh, was like, <laughs> no, no, no. Always he, mentioning it in conversation. He actually he was, was a like, pilot. Uh, I'll have a black coffee, please. <laughs> I hope it's black cause I can't see color. That's why I'm not a pilot. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I mean in the racial sense, like he gets uh, there and he can't figure out why everybody's upset that he's convinced that the suspect is a, a black person. I mean, that seems implausible. Mm. But you never know. I'm sure there were lots of stupid people working for the FBI then as now. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's odd. It's uh it's an odd duck. Uh it's maybe worth a watch. I wouldn't Mum I don't says know if I'm I would. very intelligent for a policeman. <laughs> yeah. I'm scoring in the ninety ninth percentile of police intelligence tests. <laughs> which is the ninety sixth percentile of serial killer intelligence. I've managed to get through the first three stages of Indiana Jones and the fate of Atlantis. Yeah. All right, how long have you been playing? Oh, since it like came out, you know, mm. it's been close to 30 years, I guess. I'll get there. Wow. The parrot, it's the parrot, because he knows the password to get into the temple. You know, uh, there's, a, there's an opening coming up at the Behavioral Sciences Unit, and we could use a maverick <laughs> like you. That's the other infuriating thing about the show is it's like... Uh, fucking it's trying to build this guy up as a superhero instead of a hack two-bit uh fbi guy who later made a bunch of money off of his books but they're like he's got those instincts you can't go wrong with those instincts just got to keep him reined in so that he's not impolite to people because he's basically coded as autistic when you said behavioral um, department, you just reminded me of a. Mm. This is, I guess, a bit related. Mm. You know how economics doesn't work very well. Yes. Like by which I mean at all. Um, so that one of the innovations after the financial crisis was the economists. Some of the more progressive and intelligent economists were like, mm. you know what we should be doing? Catching up with psychology. I think we've been making too many assumptions about people based on our own ideas of what constitutes uh, efficiency and choice and rationality. Maybe 
we should be actually listening to what psychologists think about how people behave. Mm. And so economists, like the leading edge, the cutting edge of economic thinking, is they're just starting to get into behavioural psychology <laughs> yeah. now. So uh, there's another big fucking crisis on the horizon. Yeah, great. <laughs> cool. Just as every single reputable psychologist goes, well, that was an embarrassing 30 years. <laughs> yeah. Fuck. So, we didn't yeah. even realise that dogs' primary sense is their nose, not their eyes, and we were drawing a lot of conclusions <laughs> from their inability to see properly. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, sweet. <laughs> and then, who do we have to go through in between economics and policing? Um, between economics and policing, that is a good question. I think probably police are more advanced than economists on their understanding of like. Oh, well, of course. Human it's, we're behavior. coming off the back of talking about a fucking police thing. Yeah. So it's you've got police, psychologists, and then economists. Mm. No, psychologists, police, then economists, probably. Yeah. But I want to be fair to psychologists. A lot of them are actually quite good at what they do. Yeah. Jordan sure. B. Peterson is not representative. <laughs> of- uh, he has a book out with his daughter. Have you seen? I have I not. I have to show you the fucking cover because it's the most preposterous thing ever. It's a... Uh, <laughs> it's a book about his all-meat diet. Uh, that he wrote with his... He uh, has an all-meat... Seriously? With his daughter. Why does he have an all-meat diet? Because uh, he's a fucking crazy person who doesn't believe in evidence. No, what I mean, like, what was his justification for... Is it literally just because he doesn't oh, like Peter? Oh, no. <laughs> Apparently it's fake. Is it because lobsters only Damn eat it. meat? Oh, it's fake. That's a shame. Somebody, like, got it listed on Amazon and shit as well, but, uh... I guess it turns out that it's fake. It does seem like a God damn Peterson it. thing to do. What a wet fart. Because the cover was so that amazingly... ghastly expression, please, Kieran? That's all I can think about. I'm tired. <laughs> anyway, let's, uh, we, can, we can wrap up, but I, just, I wanted to talk about Serial Killer Show because it's uh, Halloween. All right. And it's what, Happy... it's, it's what happens when you take a flawed criminal investigation uh, uh, concept and make it the centerpiece of your show. And an essentially tedious decades-long narrative arc with no real resolutions. Uh, and then get some of the most very talented filmmakers to, <laughs> to do stuff around it. It's well, infuriating. We have, to, we have to get something compelling in this. Somebody... Was it a Netflix? Yeah, it's, yeah. On, it's on Netflix, yeah. Netflix original? I think so. Mm, sounds like a Netflix original. Yeah. But uh, instead of that, you should watch Perpetual Grace Limited on Stan because it's really good. It's not doing any numbers in America because it's part of this channel called like Epics or something, which nobody has. But it's on Stan here. It's fucking Ben Kingsley and Jackie Weaver and fucking Jimmy Simpson and this Damon Harriman guy. And then uh, I forget the other actor's name, but uh, the brother of the director who did Patriot as well, which is another really good show. That's pretty Watch cool. Watch that. That's a fucking dope uh, show. I, I recommend RuPaul's Drag Race UK mm. on Stan also. Okay. It's on uh, the BBC, so he can't give them like branded prizes. So they just get little Union Jack badges. <laughs> but the um, performers are on average much funnier and more engaging than on the American show. Mm. I would like to see a challenge where they have to do maybe like uh, uh, like a, a, a song routine, but on one of those extended stages that goes out into the audience, but it just goes down uh, into a pool and they just go down there in all of their clothes and then start to drown and RuPaul sits on the side of it, just nodding and praying for them and doing nothing to help them. 
There's a really um, he, that's all I can think about that yeah. fucking story. I mean, it's a, it seems like a very he's not a very useful person. Can I say that politely? Well, like, yeah. it's not like oh, something needs to be done. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. get RuPaul. <laughs> yeah, hey Ru. He's, I, and I don't think he would dispute that. I think he'd agree that his primary purpose is aesthetic and yeah, ornamental. Yeah, and that's, than- <laughs> that's perfectly fine, but it doesn't change the fact that now... It would be bad the, if he tried to save you from drowning. The second synapse that fires when I hear his name, the first one is just recognition, and then the second one is the story about him watching somebody drown. The, 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 the easiest way for Rue to save mm. somebody from drowning would be if they were so galvanised to stop him from drowning that they somehow, like, snapped, Rallied had, and, like, yeah. an adrenaline surge. <laughs> like, yeah. a, like a maternal um, defensive yeah. surge. <laughs> So full of <laughs> chemicals and energy that they just drink all of the water. Yeah, like Thor. Uh, man. All right. That's an hour and a quarter. We can probably do. wrap that it up. That should do us. Thank you for listening, darlings. If yeah. you want to get in touch with us, you can contact us at weaknessforbleakness weakness at gmail.com. There are no tricks with the spellings. Um, all of the views that you've just heard are... Our ones, not anybody else's ones. I'm fucking half asleep as well, and so I'm particularly dumb today. So if you want to try and sue us, I've been trying. Yeah. We'll see you in court. Mm. We could do with the publicity. Uh, uh, busted open the scoop on uh, yeah. Leonardo's robot. It turns out that it's... indie hack, boring prick Leonardo's robot <laughs> is actually co-host and colleague Kieran Stevenson. Yeah, which I'm sure you all knew already. <laughs> I was doing an ex- experiment. <laughs> with anonymity because I thought it would be interesting <laughs> and but you realised like, that we were already anonymous so it was an unnecessary double bluff well yeah 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 but like <laughs> here's the thing is like all the cool parts about anonymity like uh uh having like the character of Leonardo's robot as somebody who's making this music or this thing that's making it you can have all of that without actually <laughs> being anonymous and the jig was up the second you put your music on Spotify you've got to put your real fucking oh, name really? in there that's yeah. annoying so, Jesus. And thanks, Spotify. From the start. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that was well, fun. That fun just means that we should have come up with fun aliases before we started doing the podcast. Yeah. I'm, if we do come up with fun aliases. I'm far to, too lax with my anonymity generally. We could do like a kind of long weekend where we go through and just edit all the aliases back into the old shows or oh, yeah. delete everything and start from scratch. I think that was, I think that's what we would have to do. <laughs> I think that's what we would have to do. We would have to just start a different podcast with a different name and aliases and just delete this one and then be like, Hey, it's beaker of weaker <laughs> yeah, beaker of weaker with Dimmy and the King. Uh, you know, what's been grinding my gears <laughs> today, Dimmy. <laughs> I like how you assumed you were the king, king. Because you always put your own name first when you do introductions, surely. Is that true? I don't know. That was the assumption I was going off. Okay. Jesus. So you look more like a dim sim than I do. I'm not sure how to take that. Uh, probably by winding up the show. It's, it's accurate enough. Thank uh, you for your time, listener. Yeah. Write to your uh, federal member asking them to... Uh, do something about the disgraceful, um, mm. racist military occupation of the Northern Territory. Yeah. In my case, that's Josh Frydenberg. Mine is Adam um, Br- Brandt, Br- Bent, Bent, Brandt. Brandt. 
I'll probably have more. Are you luck. really in the seat of Melbourne? That yeah. far east? That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, because it's uh, we're still Richmond. Like, so if you look at the suburbs map, where we do link up with the Melbourne city. Yeah, I just assumed it would be separate. Um, separate in the state thing. Yeah, obviously, oh, of course, they're smaller wards. We've got. It's weird though. That like like Broad Meadows is part of Richmond for the Senate thing. It's the state. Like layouts, fucking bizarre. Mm. But yeah, anyway, I'll write to Adam. I think I'll have more luck with Adam than you will with Josh. But. Yeah, I think I'll, <laughs> I'll give it a red hot go. We'll still get. Come on, you bald pated fuck! <laughs> <laughs> it's me again. <laughs> My Jewish friend is very upset with you. <laughs> Why? What? Why? Because I am mm. very upset with him. Oh, sorry, you were speaking for me. I thought you were saying that you're Jewish. Um, I don't have I'm any Jewish friends. I'm a very anti-Semitic Jew, Kieran. The one thing that really gives me pleasure, uh, small pleasure about Frydenberg is that he's clearly in distress. Like, he clearly hates his fucking job and his life. He oh. loves the benefits that it brings. Josh Frydenberg is the... Uh, he's not actually more clueless than Joe Hockey. If he is more clueless than Joe Hockey, he's better at keeping a lid on. I don't it think Joe he's Hockey. more clueless. I think he's potentially more morally vacant. But he's but uh, he's also much more aware of how in you know, over his head he is. Yeah. Like Joe Hockey had that kind of just moronic glee of like yeah. all the toys you get to play with as minister. Yeah. Because he had the, the brash dude confidence of just like, which works in social settings, small scale social settings. You walk in and you're like, I'm doing this now. And people are like, I guess he's doing it. But you can't be like, the economy's good. <laughs> <laughs> like it doesn't quite work. All right, that's it. That's the end of the show. We really got to wrap it up. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.